But my name is Randy, and I'm happy to be with you this afternoon. I've got to look at my watch to know what time it is. Uh, it's been a chaotic, well, chaotic, it may not be the word, but it's been a very full, um, I feel like something's happening behind me. Uh, it's been a full season for us at Calvary Bible Church. I, I'm the new pastor at Calvary. I mean, I've been a pastor at Calvary for two and a half years, but recently I became the senior pastor, which is a wonderful thing. Uh, few men get to step into a ministry like this, uh, where you can have a major change. And we just lost our senior pastor of 28 years, Dan Kirk. That's how we lost him. He's still alive. He's still with us. Um, but he, he was diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's. Uh, so in just a really painful stroke of God's providence, uh, his ministry is going to look different now uh, than it's ever looked before. But we trust that the Lord is in charge of that. And we love him. We love him dearly. <clears throat> We've all been so influenced and impacted by, by him. But what's remarkable is uh, the church of God is not dependent on one man. And uh, we were able to, I forget, um, you know, it's been less than, less than, maybe it's been right at a month since I've been the new senior pastor. And then we're able to step into this and have this thing going on at the church. We have remarkable people here. And we're glad that you're here. We're happy to serve you and love you. All right. Um, so here we are, key elements part three. You guys have been working through um, the key elements of biblical counseling. This lecture will be on providing instruction and giving homework. Providing instruction and giving homework. So just by way of review, you guys have talked about building involvement, right? What's involvement? What does it mean to build involvement? Yeah. Yeah. What's why is that important? We've got the truth. Just throw it at them, right? Why do we need to invest in other people? He did. That's right. Right. We we need to uh, make sure that we earn a hearing with people, right? Um, that takes time, and uh, we want to make sure that we build involvement and, and trust and a level of credibility with people. Uh, next, we want to gather data. All right. Sherlock Holmes said it's a capital offense uh, to execute or act before you've gathered sufficient data. That's true in, in uh, life, too, right? Uh, we want to make sure that we don't give an answer before we hear a matter. Right? Whoever does that, it's to their folly and shame. We want to make sure we hear all the details about, well, all the relevant details about situations so that we can speak uh, with precision to the situation. And then we want to give hope. Give hope. Right, that's crucial. So then we come to a point where we evaluate the problem, and we're trying to figure out all along the way, and this is true if a, with a counselee or a disciplee, right? So you're trying to figure out, okay, what is the problem? They come to you, they lay out all the data, you ask wonderful questions, open-ended questions, you figure out what their problem is, what they're, what they're struggling with, and then you're able to look at it and figure out, okay, this is the, this is the main problem as I see it. And you want to make sure that you identify that before you leave that first session. You want to know what that is. Or at least you have the data sufficient enough where you can sit down at your desk or in your you know, bedroom, wherever you do your work, and you can figure out, take the word of God, what is it? What is going on here? What's the heart issue? Uh, where are we with them? And that way you can actually plan and strategize and figure out a way to help them biblically. Uh, so you don't want to end your first session. This is just a good rule. Well, it's not just a good rule. It's what you need to do. Don't end your first session without knowing what the problem is. Uh, 
All right, people are uh, usually, often, anyway, they love to talk. They love to talk about themselves. We all do that. Uh, we like to talk about ourselves. And sometimes you'll find a counselor who will just go on and on and on and on and on and on, and you listen, and they haven't had anyone listen to them in a long time. And you, if you're not careful, you might in, get on the other side of that conversation and think, okay, wait, where are we? What, what's happening? Where, what's the problem? Well, you want to make sure that you mitigate that. You want to make sure you ask good questions, drill down into things, and figure out what the problem is, and then you're ready uh, to give instruction, right? You're, you're ready to, to shoot the rifle, right? You're ready to aim carefully at the problem and address the issue. Uh, and that is what we're talking about today, providing instruction and then giving homework. This cord is going to be a perpetual problem for me. I could feel it. That's okay. Uh, the Lord will help me. Uh, you want to give instruction, all right? We want to give instruction. Let me give you a definition of instruction. I don't know if I put this in the slide or not. I did. Uh, this is a definition of instruction. Instilling an understanding of God's word into another's heart so as to stimulate faith and obedience in all areas of life. That's just a good working definition. Let me give you a, a scripture to support that. Uh, this is my go-to passage when I think about what I need to be doing as a pastor in the pulpit uh, and also in, uh, you know, in someone's home when I'm counseling them directly or when I'm doing formal counseling uh, with folks in the community or within our own church. Psalm 119, 130. Key verse. The unfolding of your word gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. Simple uh, here, as in all wisdom literature, it, it has to do with person who, someone who's morally naive, inexperienced. They lack wisdom. All right. And what is wisdom? What's, what's a good definition of wisdom? App, who said that? Can you raise your hand? Alex said that in the back. He's an IT guy, just so you know. Uh, he helped us up here a little bit. Uh, yeah, it's the application of knowledge. That's a good way to put it. Any other definition? I heard another one. Hearing and obeying God's word. Very good. A good um, definition, it's a little different than those two, same, in, I think, in principle, is skill for living. Right? Skill for living God's way. Wisdom is skill for living. It has to do with knowing God's word so you can live God's word. Right? Well, the way that we get, uh, we help, rather, we help someone gain skill for life is by, according to Psalm 119, 130, unfolding the word of God for them, right? Unfolding is, it's literally the word used for opening the door, right? Open it. Just open it up. That's all you have to do. Open scripture. Open scripture. This is what our instruction uh, needs to be doing. We're going to talk through uh, how, how this looks together. Well, there are two kinds of people that you'll come into contact with as you counsel, um, believers and unbelievers, uh, those are the only two people that exist, two types of people that exist in the world. I love the clarity and the black and whiteness of Scripture. Uh, you're either a child of God or you're what? You're a child of the devil, First John. Uh, you're either of the light or you're of the darkness. Uh, you're either spiritually alive or you're... Yep. God does not let us sort of hang out in the gray. We like the gray. It's nice and safe there, right? Uh, no one points you out. You can just sort of stay there and, you know, there's nothing, nothing's very clear. Uh, we all sort of get along when it's gray. But as soon as you start 
you know, shedding some light on something, well, then it becomes clear, okay, are they a believer or are they an unbeliever? And that's part of our task is we want to discern whether or not our counselee is really a Christian. And that's our job at the outset. Uh, a good rule of thumb, right, you sit down with someone, a good rule of thumb is <clears throat> to take your counselee at their profession of faith until they demonstrate otherwise. So that's what I will tell my counselee. Someone sits down. I know, I know what the situation is. I have their PDI, and I look and I think, wow, this is a train wreck. This is a really complicated life this person has. And they say, what have I done? What have you done about it? And what have you done about your problem? And you know what most people say? Nothing. Well, usually, actually, most people don't say nothing. They usually say, I've prayed about it. Right? I've prayed about it. But I've actually done, you know, I've prayed about it, but, you know, I'm not seeking help other than being in a counseling session. Um, anyway, that's what they usually say. I've prayed about it. Uh, but they'll usually say, I'm a Christian. I go to this church and their life is, there's no fruit in their life at all. So I'll tell them, okay, John, I will take you at your profession until you demonstrate otherwise. And then I'm obligated to challenge you on that. Right? Because scripture is very clear what a Christian looks like. All right, I'm going to take you at your profession, and then when I start seeing otherwise, I'm going to, uh, I, I promise, I commit for your sake to help you see that that, that may not be the case. All right? Uh, let's, let's think first here, how we should provide for someone who is an unbeliever. There's a Jay Adams quote, the only person who can really operate at a level of depth is the person who knows how to go to the heart of a man's problem. Secular counseling, uh, most of our counseling typically before we're introduced to uh, biblical sufficiency, that God speaks to all of our problems, most of it stays at the superficial level. People that go deep with people and help them really change from the heart, they're the people who, the only way to go to the heart, he says, of a man's problem is through the gospel. Right? That's how you go to through the gospel of Jesus Christ, ministered in the power of the Holy Spirit, who then transforms the heart of man and thus transforms his life patterns. All right, that's our, tar- our goal. We want to go, uh, we want to go deep, right? We want to go deep with people. We want to help them change from the heart because this is God's concern, right? First uh, Samuel 17. Oh, I'm going to get that wrong, I bet. Um, God looks on the heart, right? The heart is the real you, right? It's the life you live before God and yourself, right? God knows your heart. You know your heart as best as you can. Uh, but I don't. I can see fruit from your life. But God knows who you really are, and you know that as well. So we want to get down to them. We want to get address heart issues. All right. Let's see here. All right. What do we want to do with them? Four things, at least four things. Each of these are targeted at really the gospel and trying to help them discern uh, truth, help them know who they are. So what do we do? First, we help them understand themselves. Right, we've got an unbeliever, or we've got someone who we're pretty convinced is an unchristian. We want to help them understand themselves. We want to help them see that they are, first, individuals made in God's image, and that they're morally culpable. Morally culpable. They're responsible before God. Usually what happens is people come, marriage case, let's take that for an example. Uh, usually uh, the husband thinks it's whose fault, 
Right. The wife thinks it's whose fault. All right. Who did Adam blame? Right. And who did Eve blame? The serpent. Right. This is this is as old as Adam. We blame shift. That's what we do. Part of our responsibility, even with, I mean, especially with Christians as well, is to help our counselee own their own guilt, own their own contribution. Right? You may not have contributed 100% of this problem. All right? You may not have even contributed 50%. But you contributed, maybe best case scenario, you committed 10%. All right, well, with God's help, I'm going to hold you responsible for that 10% because that's what God holds you to. Right, you contributed 10% to your marriage uh, catastrophe. All right, let's work on that 10%. That's what we're going to do. Well, we want to help them see that they are responsible uh, before the Lord. That means we teach them a biblical anthropology. Uh, we teach them that they are born in sin. Romans 3.23. Right? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know, that's not the default setting of humanity. Well, sin is the default setting. But the awareness that I am a sinner, most people think they're basically what? Right. Now, here you are. You're the counselor. You're the discipler. You've got this person sitting across from you, and they think, I'm great. My life would be great if it wasn't for my wife. She's so problematic. Can you fix her? (laughs) You want to help them see, no, 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 friend. You are not great. You have a serious problem, and it's not your marriage, right? This is a systemic issue. Uh, your marriage is a mess because you're a mess, right? Your, your marriage is a mess because you're living in hostility against the living God. And Proverbs fifteen thirteen says, the way of the transgressor is hard. All right, you keep living in against God. I can, I can make a promise to you, friend. Your life will be inc- increasingly hard, right? It's only going to get more difficult. You can't live in rebellion against God and think things are going to go your way. And I'll often say, and you know why that is? Because God loves you too much. To let you just live your own way. He's made you miserable and he's brought you here. This is remarkable. God is extraordinarily compassionate. He's gracious. You're in rebellion against him. You need to repent. But here we are. All right. And of course, I'll take them to Romans 3, 23, Psalm 51, 5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and sin did my mother conceive me. We need to teach them these things. All right. They don't come in knowing that. Sometimes they might, but most of the time they don't. All right, we need to teach them uh, biblical anthropology in the sense that they, uh, they don't know Jesus. They think they might, but they don't know him, and they actually have no desire to really know him. Uh, we need to show them Romans 3.10. Work through Romans 3.10 with them. There is none who seek for God. None is righteous, no, not one. No one seeks for God. No one understands. Their mouth is an open grave. The venom of ass, poisonous snakes, is on their lips. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Uh, there is no fear of God before their eyes. Romans 3.18. Friend, this is where you sit. This is why you're having a problem. And I praise God that you're here with me. And I can show you a wonderful solution to this problem. But we have to show them the blackness of their plight before we, uh, really before they can appreciate uh, the glory of the gospel. And we need to show them that they are separated from God. That one day they will give an account to God for how they're living, right? This is if we understand this person is an unbeliever. These are what we need to tell them. These are the things we need to show them. Love demands it, right? Hebrews nine twenty seven. What does it mean? What does it say? Hebrews nine twenty seven. Yes, it's appointed unto a man once to die, and after that, judgment. It's coming for you, friend. 
You can't escape it. It's, all, it's coming for all of us. It's coming for me too. Uh, but let me tell you the good news. <laughs> right? Someone has taken that judgment for sinners like you and me. And I can tell you about him, and I'm glad you're here to hear about him. Right? Uh, that's what we want to do. Help them understand themselves. And secondly, we want to help them understand their inability. The last thing we want is creating uh, to create Pharisees who think, okay, what you need to do is just morally change a little bit. Right, let's rearrange the deck chairs on the Titanic here. All right, you're sinking. Your life is a wreck. You're in hostility against God. The living God is against you in your sin. He, he's given you a way out in Christ. I, I can't just help your marriage be better and you go to hell. I, I, I can't do that. Uh, I want to help your marriage flourish, but friend, what does it profit a man to have a flourishing marriage but forfeit his soul, right? Uh, so the first thing here we have to deal with is your standing before God. And here's another, uh, just a, a good principle. All counseling is pre-counseling until a person comes to Christ. Until a person comes to Christ, you can't really counsel them. You can give them some advice, but you're just you're rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. This thing is sinking. Uh, God calls you to be an ambassador for Him and appeal to them and, and call them to Christ. This is an evangelistic opportunity. You have to have the courage to do it and the uh, faith to obey God and trust Him. Well, we want to uh, we want to show them their inability. We want to show them their plight. They're serious, but that they can't. Just change. They can't white knuckle this in one sense. Here's the reason for that. First Corinthians 2.14 says that the natural person does not accept the things of what? Of God, of the Spirit. Right? Romans 8 further says that uh, those who live according to the flesh cannot please God. Your, Ephesians 2 says that you're spiritually dead. And you're, you're in a terrible position. All right? And I'm here... And God, in his sovereignty, in his abundant kindness, John, has brought you here. Why are you in a church office right now? It's amazing. Uh, Why are you here at this uh, coffee shop right now with me? It's amazing that God has brought you here. And it just very well might be that he did this so that you would, for, for the first time, see that you are a sinner in need of a wonderful Savior who is worthy of all your life. And I get to tell you that. As counselors, we have the privilege of doing that. Our most fruitful ministry, evangelistic ministry at Calvary, is our counseling ministry. It's, it's people come in, they think they're a Christian, their life is a wreck. Uh, and we look and we say, friend, um, I know you go to church on Sunday, but uh, Jesus didn't say, whoever would come after me, let him get in his car and drive to church on Sunday. Uh, no, he said they must take up a cross and deny themselves. You live only for yourself. Uh, this is why your life is a wreck. Um, I will take you at your profession until you demonstrate otherwise, but I'm pretty convinced that you don't understand any of this. Let me tell you about it. All right. So we don't. when it comes to instruction, we want to make sure that we're discerning whether or not we have a believer or an unbeliever. Okay? If we have an unbeliever, we want to help them understand themselves. We want to help them understand their inability. And then we want to help them understand the problem biblically. All right, they are in serious trouble with God, as I've said. Uh, things are not okay with them. Their marriage is not their major problem. Pornography enslavement is not their major problem. Um, anger is not their major problem. 
their major problem is that God is against them. Right? God opposes the who? The proud. He opposes proud people. You want God's opposition? Keep living with your fists raised against him. And you'll have it. What does he do to humble people? He gives grace, right? Friend, if you humble yourself, turn from your sin, trust in Christ, he will pardon you abundantly. And then we can start counseling. Right? Then we can start talking about how we can make your life wonderful. right? Because following Jesus is the way to live. right? Psalm 1, how blessed is the man. Right? You can have a happy life. Matthew 5, blessed, happy is the one. Right? You can have a happy life, and I'm happy to help you do that. Actually, I get my joy in doing that. But first, you need to know that the solution to God's to the problem is that you turn from your sins and trust in Christ, who has died for you. Right? He, he came and lived perfect life, no sin, uh, tempted in every way that you are, yet without sin. And 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that for our sake... He made him, this man, Jesus, who you've laughed at, who you've thought was weak. Uh, he wasn't weak. He was God incarnate. And he was perfect. And he lived the life you should have lived. Right? You know, everywhere that you failed, this big list that we've just looked at, yeah, everywhere you failed the temptation, he triumphed. And he was faithful. All the way to the end, he died on the cross in a place of sinners. The word is substitutionary atonement, right? Just like playing soccer, right? You're playing on the soccer field, you fall, hurt your leg. We need a substitute, someone come out. Uh, Jesus was your substitute, right? He died on the cross in your stead. And you know what he did? He drank the cup of God's wrath for you, right? Your whole life, you've been, you've been filling up this cup. This is God's wrath and it's full, right? And right now it's over your head and you will drink it someday. But Jesus, because of his great love, stepped in and said, I'll drink the cup. And he drank the cup. And he drank it to the dregs. Right? There's nothing left in the cup for those who trust in Jesus. You'll never have his wrath if you trust him. All right? That's wonderful. And we get to do that. Right? We as counselors, as disciples, as Christians, we're ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. All right, I'm preaching. You can tell me to stop. Um, so we want to help them understand the problem biblically, and we, all want, we want to help them understand the solution, which is what I just said. All right, so what about for believers? How do we provide instruction for believers? If it's an unbeliever, all counseling is pre-counseling until the person comes to Christ. We know they're a believer. Okay, now what do we do? Well, let me give you a warning first, or two extremes that you want to avoid. One is that counseling is all instruction. I went to seminary. Uh, I was in seminary for a long time, probably too long. Um, but I have an ability to just talk, now, which is why you're going to hear me for the next, I think I'm done at 2.30. Um, this is just the way that I'm programmed. Well, in counseling, I cannot just give instruction. People don't come in, to counseling for me to talk to them for an hour, right? They probably won't come back if you do that. Um, uh, counseling is all instruction. And this, is, this just happens. We have to fight that. We have the truth. You, you hear their problem, and you're all the while you're thinking, Oh, I've got a text for that. I've got a text for that too. I've got a text for that too. I've got a text for that too. Okay, let's, I've got seven texts for you. All right? Uh, I'm going to give, you know, 10 minutes per text. We'll be here an hour and 10 minutes. You'll be out of here. All right, let me give them to you. You can't do that, right? 
Um, we'll talk about why, but counseling is, is not all instruction. The other side of that is counseling is little to no instruction. All right? Uh, the other the other side is Rogerian, Carl Rogers. I'm a reflective practitioner. So you, you just sit there, you talk to me, and I'll reflect your problems back to you. All right? This is what I was taught in my pastoral ministry classes when I was in Bible college. Uh, praise the Lord. I was introduced to biblical counseling. It changed the, directory, the direction of my life. Uh, but this is what I was taught. Uh, just reflect back to them. And then they'll talk for 30 minutes, and then you just reflect back to them. You get your check. They go home. It's wonderful. They think they solved their problems because the answer is inside of them. Uh, and you just help them discover that. Well, that is thoroughly unbiblical. Uh, God has a better way. Uh, but counseling is, is more than just listening. There's got to be instruction, right? We have scripture. We have truth. Let me give you a, a sort of a, I don't know, you could call it a counseling pie, all right? Uh, this is a, just a breakdown of what a good balance for instruction is, all right? You want to, when someone comes in, you want to pray with them, right? You want to pray. Uh, that's, does this have a laser pointer? That would be wonderful. I'm going to press a button. We'll see what happens. Look at that. All right. So it starts with an update, right? They come in. Um, you get an update. How's your week? How are things going? Good. You have to be careful with that question, though, because if you have a talker, they'll tell you 20 minutes of their week, right? And then you lose your uh, part of your pie. Uh, so you want to get an update on things. You want to pray with them, right? Uh, then you want to review homework, right? We've, uh, I'm supposed to talk to you about homework. <laughs> uh, so we want to review homework. If you don't review homework, they'll think it's insignificant. Uh, I don't have to do that. Uh, homework is so vital. And so you want to make sure you review that. But then you want to spend this time instructing. Now, notice that this is the largest piece of the pie. It's not all the pie, but it's a large piece of the pie. So usually you want to spend 15 to 20 minutes, 15 to 30 minutes maybe in some cases, uh, giving instruction. Then, all right, does all that make sense to you, right? And then you want to give some hope if it's necessary, give homework, pray, and we're out in an hour, hour and 30 minutes, right? Anyway, that's a little pie for you. That's essentially the way that I received it. That's from my professor, Stuart Scott. That's the way that he's envisioned things. And that's kind of the way that I function. All right. So that's a su- suggested layout for your time. How do we make sure that the instruction that we give is biblical? How do we make sure of that? Well, that's an easy answer, right? Just use the Bible. Uh, but let me, let me give you a little more specificity. First, for God to be honored in the kind of instruction you give to your counselee or disciple, uh, you want to make sure that it's strictly and clearly from Scripture. <laughs> All right? Uh, that means you have to be in the text yourself. It means you have to be going to uh, Scripture, opening your Bible with them. Right? This is a good rule of thumb. I think uh, I heard this from Randy Patton. Is you should always have an open Bible in front of you when you're counseling. Uh, even if you're not speaking it at that moment, it's a reminder. Who who is this about? Right? This is about the Word of God. This is about the Lord. Okay, I've got my Bible here. If you watch, I think you guys will probably watch a video afterwards, and Randy may be saying this. I'm stealing his thunder. Um, uh, you'll see, he does that. He's got his Bible open. Anyway, I'll, I'll stop talking about that so I don't steal his thunder. All right, Psalm 119, 105 says, The word of God is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. All right? 
what that tells us is that scripture is practical. Why do we use the Bible? Well, because it's practical, right? You want to open your Bible and when you do, you'll find that scripture is immensely practical. It's as practical, according to Psalm 119, 105, as a flashlight is on a dark night. Is that pretty practical to you? This is how practical scripture is. Uh, you don't have to make it practical. It doesn't take your creativity or cleverness to make it practical. You don't open the text and say, okay, now how do I make that practical? No, you don't do that. Uh, scripture is practical. It speaks sufficiently. It's not a theological treatise. No matter what you learned in seminary, it's not that. Uh, it is a practical book aimed to move God's people onto God's path. All right, that's what scripture is. Second, it's comprehensive. His divine power, according to 2 Peter 1.3, is granted to us all things pertaining to what? All right, that's a pretty big circle. It's hard to think about anything that doesn't consist of life or godliness. And I can't think of one. Scripture is sufficient to help you be God's kind of person in whatever situation you're in. Right? It goes without saying that Scripture doesn't uh, purport to be a construction manual, a you know, a computer guide. It doesn't comport. It doesn't purport to be that. And it's almost silly to even have to qualify it that way. But sometimes uh, people will say that sort of thing. Scripture doesn't claim to be that, but it claims to be sufficient to help you navigate life in a way that's pleasing to God. Right? It won't help you change your tire but it will help you change your tire in a way that's pleasing to God, right? That's what scripture is. It's comprehensive. It's trustworthy. It's perfect. Psalm 19.7. And the Bible is sufficient. That's what I was just saying. It's uh, according to 2 Timothy 3, it's sufficient uh, so that the man of God, the person, the Christian, will be competent or adequate, equipped for every good work. All right? You want to be equipped for every good work? I do too. All right, so where should we go? We go to Scripture. That's why you're here. That's why we're happy to host this conference. Because that's what this conference is about. Uh, helping you to become a more faithful servant of God's Word. That's what it's about. Wayne Mack says, Whatever is true and necessary for successful living, i.e., whatever is true and necessary for hand handling and solving the problems of life, will be found in God's Word. All right? It has all that we need. Conclusion? All the information we impart to help a counselee change should proceed from our own imaginations. No. No, it should proceed from Scripture. Right? Not from human ideas or observations. Or innovations, we should add. Right? It should come from Scripture. All right, and... <clears throat> Instruction, then, is biblical. It must be biblical. It must be accurate. It must be ac accurate. If it's going to be biblical, it's got to be true. It's got to be accurate. So uh, a couple of things. We need to understand the key biblical words. Understand biblical words. A good thing to do. I mean, if you're going to be teaching, giving instruction, you need to understand key biblical terms. What are some key biblical terms? I see you yawning. And I'm going to believe the best. I believe that you're not bored by my teaching. I believe that you just ate lunch and you're sleepy. And that's okay. Love believes all things. Okay. All right. What are some key biblical terms? Justification. Justification. You don't get to make up the meaning to that. 
You've got to know what it means. If you're going to minister it to God's people or these people that come to you for counseling, you've got to know that word. All right, what else? Discernment. That's very important. Very important. Grace, repentance, regeneration, sanctification. Keep going. Propitiation. I think that's the word I heard. Good word. You've got to know what propitiation means. If you don't know what that means, go look it up in the right dictionary, all right? There's some, uh, a, good, a good thing to do is you want to have good, healthy resources. Go find some guys you respect and, and ask them what, what the best resources are, right? Moody Handbook of the Bible is helpful. John MacArthur and Dick Mayhew put together a biblical doctrine book, Systematic Theology. There's a, bibliography, there's a um, what's the word I'm looking for? Glossary. There's a glossary at the end of it. You need that. If you're going to be a faithful steward and, and servant of God's word, you need to know what these terms mean, all right? You want to help your counselees know what they mean. There's a danger, all right? I'm going to try not to get on a rabbit trail. There's a danger that we can know words like justification and we're just a hollow shell, right? We've got the word and we can use all the religious lingo, but there is no substance to that term. So what I'll often do, and I'm not trying to trap people, uh, I'll ask my counselee, what? What, when you think about faith, what, what do you think faith is? You'll be, you're, you'll be amazed that usually there's no good answer. Well, then you get to take them to Genesis 12, Hebrews 11, Romans 4. Show them what faith is. And it's wonderful. Show them what repentance is. Man, it's, it's a, really, it's a wonderful privilege to do this. Uh, God is so kind to use us. All right, I have to move faster than I'm moving. Um, instruction must be biblical. You must understand important words. Uh, it must be accurate. Sorry. Instruction must be accurate. Understand important biblical words. Determine the meaning of a verse within its context. All right. Here's a test. Uh, what does the word trunk mean? T-R-U-N-K. All right. Tree of a tree. It has to be one thing. You pick tree. Okay. She picks tree. Anyone else? A car? Okay, nope, you're wrong. None of those are it. Elephants, no, nope, nope, it's not that. It's like a suitcase. Yep, that's the that's what it means. You see my point? The, I was thinking about a trunk, you know, the thing that's at the end of your bed, you've got blankets in it. How did you miss that? I'm glad you're here because we need to teach you guys. No, no, the reason you missed it is because I didn't give you any context. That word can mean seven or eight things. Uh, you need context. Context determines the meaning of a verse. Okay? So when you're in Scripture, oh, get the context. If you don't, you will, be, uh, you will treat that text as Plato. You get to fashion it into whatever you want it to mean. And that's not what brings uh, wisdom to the simple. Psalm 119, 130. What brings wisdom to them? The unfolding of God's word. Not you shaping this text to mean whatever you want it to mean. Right? This is the word of God. He promises to cause this word to fall like rain and accomplish his purposes in people's lives. Not when you make it mean what you want it to mean. All right? Okay. You can see I'm kind of passionate about that. You want to interpret scripture in harmony with the rest of scripture? I've got to move a little quicker because my time is, is quickly disappearing. Um, use instruction that is action-oriented, focus on Christ, 
uh, emphasize both put off and put on. Uh, here's a good rule of thumb for you. Uh, you guys, have you, have you been taught Ephesians 4, biblical change yet? Okay, so you're in Ephesians 4. We don't need to go there. But a good rule of thumb, this was probably mentioned, spend 80% of your time focus, focused on putting on, 20% of your time putting off. Right? You tell your counsel that. Spend most of your time figuring out how to be humble rather than spending 80% of your time figuring out how not to be proud. Right? You don't stop being proud. You start being what? Humble. All right? That's copyright Stuart Scott again. Uh, most of what I say is that's Stuart Scott has been profoundly influential in my life. Um, distinguish between biblical principles and human wisdom. You just want to be clear. You want to speak the text, the word of God to your counselee, uh, and the authority is not in you. Where's the authority? It's in his word. So as long as you're in his word, you can speak with divine authority about something. And you want to differentiate. When you're speaking with divine authority, leave that woman's house now. And I can tell you that God does not want you in this home with the woman you're having an affair with or an adulterous relationship with. Leave now. Right? I can tell you that on the authority of God. All right. Take this job, right, on the authority of God's word. No, I can't do that. You have to discern there. You want to make sure you've got a text, chapter and verse, or you will lose all credibility and you will bring shame on uh, the word of God and on Christ. All right. So just be careful. You have to be careful. All right. Content then. How do we uh, we may, we need to make sure that the content, the instruction we give is biblically appropriate. All right. It should be appropriate to the problem. That's almost can go without saying uh, but just what i mean there is there's a difference between the way jesus talked to nicodemus and there's a and the way he talked to uh the samaritan woman right that's a john 3 john 4 difference what's the difference well it was a problem specific approach uh the emotional state of your counselee that's first thessalonians five fourteen. just write that down you can go read that in your own time uh, that's one you need to memorize you got to discern first thessalonians five fourteen. Whether this person's unruly, weak, are they small-souled, you've got to discern that. What about their maturity level? Right? You want to minister the word at an appropriate maturity level. I've got more I could say about that. Uh, but you, you just have to be careful that you're giving content that is not too, too weak, too, uh, too much milk, but it's also not just steak before you're the two-year-old. All right? you want to, you've got to discern their spiritual maturity. All right, and their receptivity. All right, you want to make sure that content is appropriate to their degree of reception. Essentially, where are they spiritually? All right, are they eager? Do they have a habit pattern of perpetual procrastination and laziness? Friend, uh, don't minister to them at your current level of godliness. Okay, minister out of that, but understand that you're, we're all in process. All right. You, you haven't always had an hour long quiet time every morning. Right. You haven't always done that. You haven't always been that consistent as you are now. So when you have someone new, their new Christian, God doesn't prescribe an hour length time that you need to be meditating on the word. Although he does say it needs to be unceasingly. Right. Constantly. Um, but we just want to be careful that we don't exalt a standard too high. That's unbiblical. Does that make sense. OK, you're with me. I can see it. Good. All right. Counseling instruction needs to fit the counseling situation. All right. Various methods. A lecture is not always the most appropriate method, but 
you're going to have to do that. You're going to have to give pointed instruction. All right. Observation. A good, a good way to give instruction is by saying, hey, go. Why don't you go ask John and Jill uh, if you can go over to dinner with them and watch how John does family worship. It'll change the way you do family worship for your house. Just watch John. He does a great job. Find someone in your church who does a great job with it and encourage them. Go spend some time with John. Ask him how he, he developed that. You know, ask him why he doesn't spend an hour on his family worship. Ask him why he only spends 15 minutes. Um, it's a great way to help men lead their families. Experience, research, give them a project to do, discussion. Uh, you don't want to just sit down and lecture. You always want to be asking them. Right? You want to kind of elicit responses from them when you're giving instruction. Questions, reading. These are ways, kind of means of giving instruction. Evaluation, self-disclosure. Let me just say something about that. Uh, there's a trend that transparency is uh, transparency equals authenticity. That's not always true. <laughs> All right. There's a way that you can be too transparent, uh, and, and in a way that's not helpful for your counselee, or for the people in your church, for that matter. Uh, the proverbs say uh, that wisdom conceals. It's wisdom to conceal a matter. There's a time for you to conceal. Now, of course, there's a time for appropriate transparency. Uh, but just, you know, don't buy the, 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 the lie that you have to always be laying bare your soul to your counselee, right? You don't want your counselee to leave thinking they need counseling, <laughs> okay? Uh, so just be careful, all right? Illustrations, role-playing. Uh, what I mean by that is not some elaborate process. Okay, you need to go talk to uh, your father-in-law that you sinned against. Okay, I'm your father-in-law. What are you going to say? Walk through it. I should not have stolen your tools. Perfect. All right. Will you forgive me? I sinned against God and against you. Perfect. All right, now go do it. That's what I mean. It's not complicated. It's not elaborate. It's not weird. All right. Instruction should be appropriately timed. Ephesians 4, 29. And I need, speaking of time and appropriate time, Josh, is it 2.40 that I'm done? Okay, wow. Okay, we can breathe. Sorry. All right. Always learning, but never able to arrive at the knowledge of truth. I hope that's not true. All right. How do we develop skill in biblical instruction? You're probably thinking, uh, even at this point, I don't know what the, the hours of training that you've had at this point, you're probably thinking, wow, I've got a lot to learn. Well, I'm thinking the same thing. Um, we're, all, we're all in process. None of us have arrived. But how do we get better? That's what we want. We want the general trajectory of our lives and ministry to be upwards, right? How do we get better? Well, one way to do that is build a topical notebook. Uh, say you've got 15 biblical words that you don't know what they mean. Propitiation's at the top of your list. Learn how to pronounce it properly and learn what it means. Take your notebook out, write it out. Go, go find uh, MacArthur and Dick Mayhew's book and, and get the definition and write it out. There you go. All right, build a topical notebook. This is one that is so crucial. Produce a personalized chain reference Bible. Now, don't think, oh, well, that's super complicated. No, when you, when you sit down uh, with someone and you're going to meet with them and you're going to teach them on Titus 2. I just did this yesterday. Um, Titus 2. Well, I've got notes in my Bible with a couple of cross-references. I have a lesson that I teach. It's 10, 15 minutes that I teach to young men for discipleship and counseling on what God's designed for young men, what it is, right? So I can just, 
And this so happened, don't tell him, he showed up and I forgot we had a meeting because I was getting ready for a lecture I had yet, uh, last night. And it was right before I had an hour to prepare and I forgot that I had this meeting with him. We changed it. Uh, it was a, not our regular time. Anyway, I said, what am I going to What am I going to say? He's talking to me. He's telling me his problems. I'm thinking, okay, what? Lord, help me. How can I help this brother? Uh, and I just remembered. The Lord helped me to remember. Turn to Titus 2. You haven't shared this with him yet. This is immediately relevant to his situation. Turn there and help him. And I did. It, it, you would have to ask him, but it seemed like I was overly prepared for that. Why? Well, because I have a chain reference Bible. I've worked hard. When I meet with someone, I write the notes out in my Bible. I have a little bitty outline that's really hard to see, but I can see it. And, and that's what I operate off of. Any, you know, you want to have cross references in your Bible reading. You just want to do that. Start that now. Find a good Bible. Invest in a good Bible. And, and start making notes in it. Okay? Yeah, you'll, you'll be glad you did if you find yourself in a situation like I was in yesterday. All right. Become familiar with the best books on specific topics. Uh, invest in good books. You, we have them here. This is not a plug. Um, invest in good books. Go down there. Find uh, a systematic theology. Find something to help you define words properly. Uh, we trust the books we have here. I knew this was going to be a problem. We trust the books we have here. Uh, so go go uh, pick them up and read dis- with a discerning eye, whoever said discernment earlier. But we've picked them out specifically to help you. All right, here's some resources that you can go to. Journal of Biblical Counseling, the MacArthur Topical Bible. is a great resource. Uh, quick scripture reference. You'll see those down there. Uh, the ACBC website, uh, the CBCD website, our own website, Calvary Bible Church. We have, we have media from these conferences that are on the website. And you're thinking, why did I pay money for this if I could have got it for free? Uh, it's a good question. You have to work that out yourself. Um, <laughs> all right. No, this is priceless. Being with one another. All right. All right. Utilize training resources. The ACBC Annual Conference, the CBCD Annual Conference, Faith Lafayette, um, Biblical, this conference. Sorry, I got ahead of myself. Here's one that you're, you may not be aware of. The Institute for Church Leadership uh, from the Master Seminary. I'm slightly biased towards the Master Seminary. Um, but that is where I went to school, and I love the Master Seminary. I love what's going on there. They have an institute. The Master's Seminary has an institute called the Institute for Church Leadership. We use their resources at our church. So we offer a hermeneutics course, uh, an Old Testament introduction course, a New Testament introduction course. Specifically, we're gearing that towards our ladies right now. We we call it E4M, which is Equipping for Ministry. It starts with hermeneutics. Why? Well, because the unfolding of God's Word gives light. We want light to be shown. We want people to be able to help people with God's Word. In order for that to happen, you've got to know how to rightly divide the word of truth. All right? So I would encourage you, I think I'm going to do this in just a few minutes, so I won't jump ahead of myself, but this is a great resource. You want to learn about the Old Testament, you want to learn systematic theology, there are seminary professors who are teaching these, this specific content, uh, content on uh, that website. And I'll, I have that website in, an, in a slide later on. Okay. Okay, here are some suggestions. I say be hesitant. I should probably say don't. Give instruction on biblical issues that you've not studied. Just make sure you've you've got a handle on it. And if you find you didn't have a handle on it, you know what you should do? Sweep it under the rug and never say anything. No, no. You call them. You talk to them. And you say, hey, I have... 
I've had to do this. I What I shared with you was actually meant to be applied specifically to pastors only. Um, and, and I pushed this. I misunderstood this passage. Here's what it means. Uh, brother, I, I promise with God's help I'm going to do better. Uh, will you forgive me for misrepresenting the truth that way? And yeah, he, he said, well, absolutely I do. I was a little confused at what you were saying, but yeah, I, I totally forgive you. You know, this is just what you're doing there is you're also modeling repentance and humility. None of us have arrived. Your counselees will... They don't need you to be perfect. Uh, they need you to be faithful. All right? You're not going to be perfect. If you try, you're going to be terrible. All right? You're not going to be perfect. Uh, you're not that. But you can be exemplary. You can be exemplary. You can be faithful, uh, even when you fail. Give yourself to knowing God's Word. How are you doing with that? Right, what's, your, what's your personal quiet time like? How are you filling up the hours of your day? Uh, how, how, how do you um, compare with the man in Psalm 1? Right? How, are you doing by, um, how are you doing in Scripture memory? Well, just give yourself to knowing God's Word well. Listen to good sermons. Read good books. But above everything else, read this book. Uh, don't exalt pamphlets, people, Audio sermons, good books over this book. Okay? I know you're not going to do that. Third, take this hermeneutics course. All right, I'm not getting paid for that endorsement either. Uh, it's the institute.tms.edu. Uh, the professor's name is Abner Chow. You will not be sorry that you did it. All right, we've had, uh, we had 50 women go through that course at our church. Some of them are in here. I see you guys. Um, so it, it's great. And you can... They will vouch for it. Uh, it's a wonderful course. It would be worth your time. All right, you want to get better at giving instruction? Go to the source. Get better at in, in understanding Scripture. And then take care to minister the Word to your own heart. Uh, why was I ready to help that guy um, yesterday? Well, because I've ministered that truth to my heart. Right? All you've got to do is, you guys know this. You have passages in your mind. Right? You know, you look at it and you know where it's at in your Bible even. Right, this passage was so monumental for me, so helpful for me, um, because you ministered that word to your heart in that in whatever that trial was. Do that over and over again. Keep doing it. Keep mining the scriptures. Grow, and then when you have opportunity, you're not going to have to try to figure out a way to do it. It's going to ooze out of you. Right? You're going to have to figure out how you stop talking, which is why we go back to don't lecture the whole time in your counseling cases. All right. So take care to minister the word to your own heart. Team counsel, when possible, it's just great. Uh, you can't see everything. If you have someone else to counsel with you, it's great. I counsel with my wife often, and I wonder, why is she not the one leading out on this? Why am I leading this? My wife is extremely wise and godly. Okay, giving homework. You're thinking, wow, how's he going to do all this in six minutes? I'm thinking the same thing. Uh, all right, reasons for homework. Let me give it to you quickly. Reasons for homework. It translates principles into action. Uh, you think of James 1. You think of Matthew 7. Uh, Jesus says, the foolish person who just is the one who just hears the word and doesn't do the word. Uh, I remember when I was introduced to biblical counseling, I left. It was just like this, although it was in Arkansas, and it was John Street doing all the teaching. Um, I sat through the first day 
and I wept. Uh, probably three lectures in, I was just weeping. And I remember going out to my car, and I sat there. And the reason I wept, because it struck me that I had been a foolish hearer for so long. I had a Bible degree, I was in seminary, but it was affecting nothing the way that I loved my wife. I still get kind of emotional thinking about it, right? Uh, because I was a foolish hearer for so long. People that come to us for counseling, they're foolish hearers. They go to church every week, but then they yell at their wife on the way home. How? How do we do that? Well, it's because our hearts are deceitful. And we, they need you and I to help them see it, just like you uh, need me and I need you to help me see my blind spots, all right? So homework is a way that translates principles into action and doesn't compound the problem that they already have of just being a foolish hearer, all right? We want to give them something to do. It puts responsibility for change on the counselee. I often say, John, I would change for you if I could, but I can't. And you know who else isn't going to change for you? God, <laughs> right? I can't believe for you and I can't obey for you. God can't believe and won't believe for you and he won't obey for you. There's only one person on this planet who can repent of their sin, of your sin, and that's you. God won't do that for you. All right? Homework helps them act out repentance. It clarifies expectations. Uh, it helps lessen dependence upon the counselor. You don't want them coming to you as the magic bullet of the week, right? You don't want that. This is not about you, actually. You, you are just a third-level galley slave. Right? You're just a slave. You're just a servant of the word. Right? The better you can get out of the way, I mean, the quicker you can get out of the way, the better. It's not about you. You don't want them dependent on you. You don't want to be the hero. Right? You don't want them thinking, oh, he's wonderful. I love them so much. You want them thinking, wow, Jesus is so gracious to sinners like he and I. Right? That's what you want. And it's, it's amazing uh, when you see that happening. I mean, you guys are embarking on a journey that is just going to be full of wonderful fruit. Um, homework continues counseling between sessions. You say, you know, you, you have them in the word, you have them doing the work on their own. Um, it, it's just helping them to grow. It provides, provides data for future counseling. You've got your, your 10 minutes where you're reviewing homework and you find out that he didn't read his Bible this week. <laughs> you think, well, what are you expecting to, I mean, how are you expecting to change? Um, well, I played video games. Okay. This, I did this once. Uh, okay, this is the second session. Okay, you played video games. All right, how many, let, let's, Monday, how, how long did you play video games? Okay, seven hours. Tuesday, you know, you go through the week. And almost 30 hours of video games and entertainment. And I said, brother, you have a, the equivalent of a part-time job playing video games. Uh, wh- why, what do you think the connection between your life being such a struggle and your sort of depression depressive and you playing video games all the time is what's the connection you tell me right you work that out together and anyway you're you're learning from the their failure to do homework it it shows you uh it gives you insight into their life uh then it aids you in showing who's serious about changing who's not they don't do the homework they're not serious about changing uh they may tell you all the wonderful things about how much they love coming to counseling and how much they love you specifically and no one's ever helped them the way that you help them and all these wonderful things and you, your ego is just sort of growing but they don't do homework every week well there's a problem there right they're, they're not serious about changing uh, they're just wanting some sort of therapy to happen and we're not interested in that we love them we want them to flourish but this is not about therapy uh, this is about change it's about biblical change all right here's some keys to effective homework be specific randy Patton. again i'm quoting him 
Hopefully I'm not stealing his thunder. People do not change in fuzzy land. Right, go pray this week. Go repent of your sin in your home this week. No, show them specifically. Go repent of being angry with your kids every day when you get home from work. Or go specific, give them specific, uh, tangible, boots to the ground things to do. All right? Address both knowledge and action. All right? We do what we do because we want what we want. We want what we want because we believe what we believe. All right? Belief is the heart, mind. All right? That's what fuels your life, your action. So you want to address their thinking. You want to address what they're worshiping in their heart. But you also want to give them uh, tangible things to do uh, that will help them act out uh, biblical principles. All right? Be sure to review homework. I mentioned that. Goals for homework. Think about the truth. Uh, you want to reinforce your instruction. Uh, sometimes uh, I give homework that reinforces instruction. Sometimes, though, I give homework that uh, anticipates the instruction I'm going to give that week. All right. It just depends what you think is best in that case. There's not, it's not a formula. Uh, throw down idols. We want to help them identify and fight hard idols. All right. That's what we want to do. That's specificity. All right. It's not just go uh, think through your hard idols. No, identify th- your three top hard idols. Here's a list of common hard idols. Identify your top three, circle them, memorize this text beside them, and write down four ways that you're going to put them off this week. That's specificity, okay? And if Terry ends as your supervisor, he will hold you to that. He will not let you get by by being fuzzy. He was my supervisor, by the way. All right, focus on others. Here's a, come up with a list of 20 ways to serve your wife this week. All right, here we are. You did it that week. Praise the Lord. Uh, So pick three of those 20 things and do them this week. Praise the Lord, you did it. Next week, come up with 20 more things. Next week. Come up with 20 more things and do three of them. And they think, I can't do this. Well, yeah, you can. And I'm going to help you do it. So we keep pressing on. Rest in Christ. Help them to understand the gospel and enjoy it. Right? Help them see Jesus. Part of that, well, that, what's vital for them enjoying Jesus is to see their what? Their sin. Right? And you want to help them. Here's some homework, types of homework. Scripture. <laughs> Pamphlets are wonderful. Books are wonderful. Book chapters are wonderful. Scripture has to be top. So I have it bolded and I have it in underline. All right, I'm trying to convey Scripture first. Prayer, right? Use Acts. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. We're coming up with a thing right now. Hopefully it will be helpful. It's not ready yet. Uh, but there will be a resource for helping counselees pray. Um, we're trying to get that done, but time always fails us. So prayer, you want them to be reading the Bible and you want them to be praying. You want them to be attending church. These are common, ordinary means of God's grace. You will not grow, you will not flourish, you will not be God's kind of man or woman or child, boy or girl, if you are not reading the Bible, praying and going to church. All right? Uh, Take notes of the sermon. Uh, Read pamphlets, read books. Those are wonderful. Audio sermons. I use sermons a lot. Listen to John MacArthur's sermon on X, Y, or Z. Or listen to Pastor Dan's sermon on communication. All right, it's easy to do. They can listen to it while they're commuting. Um, it's an easy assignment and take notes. Listen to the sermon, take notes. How does this apply to your specific problem? I'll ask that. How does this sermon apply to your specific problem? Data gathering assignments, anger journals, good deeds. Titus 2.14. Oh, the whole book of Titus is aimed at cultivating good deeds. 
You want your counselee to be thinking about other people. Good deeds are deeds that you do for the good of others and the glory of God. Your problem, counselee, is that you just think about yourself. So let's help you do some good deeds and start thinking about other people. All right? Um, give them something specific, continually emphasizing hope. Um, here's an example of a homework assignment. You know, not just read Ephesians 4, and we'll talk about it next week. That's what you're going to do. It's what you're prone to do. I was the same way. Uh, but we want to be more specific. Read Ephesians 4, 21 to 24. Answer the following questions is what I would say. What is Paul talking about in the verses immediately previous? Context. Right? We want to model that. What are the key words in verses 21 to 24? How many things is Paul telling us to do? What are they? How does each one apply to your life and the reasons you are coming for counseling? You see the specificity. Not just read Ephesians. Be specific. Read this pamphlet, Mark 10 key verses that speak most powerfully to your current situation. All right? Uh, Keep a journal of conflicts. Uh, Monitor your spending and create a budget. These are all very tangible things. All right, I'm going to cycle through these here. I'm going to get disciplined by the CBCD folks. Um, I can send you this slide if you're interested in all the things I'm jumping over. Uh, How do you manage homework failures? Uh, Failure to do the homework becomes the topic of that counseling case, that that meeting, right? Uh, You don't do the homework, that's telling me there's a problem. All right, is there a knowledge problem? I don't know if I wrote this down. Uh, Is there a knowledge problem? Is it an understanding problem? Uh, Or is it an obedience problem? right? Discern that. Are you just being rebellious or did you not understand my assignment? I always ask, this is what you should do. I always ask. I write out the assignment by, by hand. I'm a dinosaur kind of in that regard. I write it out by hand. I give it to him and I say, John, does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. And I walk through each assignment. Is this doable for you? Yeah, it should, should be doable. Okay, I'm going to hold you to that. I promise to hold you to it. And then he comes back and he says he didn't do, he didn't do the homework. I say, John, what, what happened? You must have had a hard week. Uh, yeah, I did. I played video games again. Um, okay. Well, what are we going to do? How do we solve that? How do we work towards changing here? Uh, anyway, that's what you do. Uh, there's a lot more to say about that, but alas. Uh, you want to make sure it's not a hope issue. I didn't do my homework because I'm just so discouraged. I, I just couldn't even lift a pen. Well, they need hope. Don't say, hey, well, if you're going to change, you've got to get it together or get out. Right? I've got other people that want to change. No, you come underneath them and say that they might need that. Sometimes, sometimes that is necessary. Uh, and I tell them this as well. Look, I, I am committed to your change and I will be as serious about this as you are. Right. I will be as serious and committed as, as you are. And if you, if you stop doing the homework, I'll be as serious as you. And we and when you're ready to change, you know, my address, right? I'm happy to help you when you're ready to change. You're just not ready yet. I'm happy to help you when you are. All right. But if they're discouraged, don't say that. You come underneath them and you love them and you say, oh, that's hard. I, I get that. I understand. This is a really challenging week. Um, next time, call me. and I, I want to pray for you in the middle of the week or text me. I want to I want to help you think about it. I want to know what's going on so I can pray for you. All right. Let's cut it in half this week because you've got a big week. Uh, let's make sure you just meditate on this text. All right. And pray. That's what we'll do. Sometimes you just got to scale it back. All right. Are they immobilized by fear? Uh, are they a genuine Christian? Do, does the counselee believe that God is a rewarder of those who seek him? This is a real problem. They think they're happier in their sin. Uh, this is a, an issue I had recently. And so what did we do? I had to show him that God, Hebrews 11.6, 6, 
Whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. John, if you seek God, he will reward you with far greater blessing than all this stuff you're trying to get happiness in. If, if they don't believe that, they're not going to put that off. Why would they leave that? Right? This is their treasure. This is their life. They've got to see that God is far superior than all other treasures. All right. I sort of walked through that with you already. Um, celebrate the victories. You've got to be their cheerleader, okay? You've got to, you've got to be rooting for them, all right? Um, here are sources for homework. I think that ha- you have that on your handout. Okay, well, let me go through that really quickly. And we are done. Praise the Lord. And it's 2.40. Wink, wink. Let me, let me pray for you guys, and then I'll let you go stretch your legs. Father, we praise you for this opportunity uh, to be here, to learn from your word. Help us to do exactly as you've told us to do, to unfold your word so that it will give light to those who need your wisdom. We thank you for this wisdom that comes from your word. Thank you above all for Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.